turn to uh, Colossians chapter 4 uh, as we continue to our, our study in the book of Colossians. This is our second to last week where we will uh, plow through this book and finish it. Uh, we're going to be in, uh, on page 835, page 835 if you want to follow along in the pew Bibles provided for you. Um, the, the, ch- the, the big number is the four is the chapter number and the uh, smaller is the verse. So we're going to be looking, reading verses 2 through 6, and then I'll pray, and then we will dive in uh, to the Word of God. Colossians chapter 4, starting in the second verse. Uh, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for for life. God, we thank you for young people. We thank you for the joy uh, that you have given them, God. We thank you for the joy that you have given us through them. God, we we praise you. You are so holy. You are so good, Father. God, we ask your blessing on us this morning. God, we do pray for your gospel in other parts of the city. God, we pray for uh, Reggie Hopkins at Calvary Baptist. God, we pray that you will use him this morning to preach your word, God, that people will respond in faith and believe and they will be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we also ask that you um, bless our leaders, uh, our leaders both locally, those who are in charge of our our schools, our principals and school board members. God, we pray that you give them wisdom as they lead, Father. God, we pray that it it is a safe place for children to hear your truth, God, that they will not be hostile against the gospel, but they will allow that to, uh, the, the word to be proclaimed in those places. Father, we also ask for uh, your blessing in, in other areas of this world. God, we pray for Australia this morning. We pray that your gospel will go forth there. God, we pray that you strengthen pastors in that land to preach your gospel faithfully, clearly, and boldly, God. Grow your kingdom there. Father, we ask for our own hearts this morning as we approach your word. Father, we just desperately need you. God, uh, as always, we do not just need another word. We do not need another message. God, we need your spirit. God, we need your spirit to come and to change us, Father. God, I pray, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing in thy sight, my rock and my redeemer. God, build your people up. Challenge them. Encourage them. God, I pray that you will make your spirit felt, God. Bring life here, Lord. Bring life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On Friday, March 13, 1964, a 28-year-old Catherine Kitty Genovese was returning home from work. As she approached her apartment entrance, she was attacked and stabbed by a man later identified as Winston Mosley. Despite Genovese's repeated cries for help, None of the dozen or so people nearby in the apartment building heard her cries and called the police for help. The attack began at 
5.20 a.m. And it was not until 3.50 a.m. that someone first contacted the police. This incident in the early 1960s has led psycho- psychological phenomena known as the bystander effect. The term bystander effect refers to the phenomenon in which the greater number of people present, the less likely people are to help a person in distress. In the, in the Kitty Genevieve's case, people a present, present assumed that other people would come and rescue this woman who was in need. She cried for 30 minutes that someone would save her, and no one came. When I hear stories like this, I often ask the question, what would I have done? Would would you have done? I would like to think that I would respond, that I would come to this aid of this, this woman as the character in, in my life, someone facing death. But the more and more I look into my own heart, I believe that's not always the case. Because I often encounter people day in and day out who are in peril, who are facing destruction yet I remain silent. I sit in my hands. I do nothing. And I I would challenge that many of you probably do the same. Christians are too often people who are just mere bystanders. We see people facing the imminent threat of eternal destruction because they have not believed in Jesus Christ. And yet we are too afraid to speak up. We think that somebody else is going to do the work. So we remain silent as mere bystanders. We want our hearts to be moved to pray and to speak the blessed gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. My goal this morning is not to guilt you. (laughs) It's not to lay a burden on you. But it's to motivate you to, to, to speak of this blessed gospel of the Lord Jesus that people may hear it and be saved. God does not want us to be bystanders. He does not want us to watch as life goes by, but he wants us to participate in the gospel. So I have four truths I'd like to, or three truths I'd like to drive home this morning. The first one, as we've signed in our text, is to be wise with outsiders. To be wise with outsiders. You see it right there in verse 5 of chapter 4. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Now, it's pretty obvious that if they're outsiders, there's probably insiders. Uh, So we got to ask ourselves, of course, who is he speaking to? Who are the outsiders? Who are the insiders? Well, the insiders are easier to identify. They're followers of the Lord Jesus. They are members of the church at Colossae. Now, I would say that they're members of the church. Now, we know that not every Christian is part of a church. I think that's safe to say across the board. But the Bible doesn't really understand that. The Bible only understands if you are a believer in Christ, you're you're with the people. There's no category for the Christian who's not a part of a local church. The local church is out of the the, 90% of the time when the word church is mentioned in the Bible, it's referring to a local church. We even see it here at the end of uh, Colossians, uh, chapter 4, verse 16. It says, after this letter has been read to you, the church, see it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. 
right? So there's this identification of members within a local church, people who are under leadership. Uh, we have ordinances, baptism, and the Lord's Supper at churches where we express our gifts. So let me just say this. If you are not a member of the church, talk to me. Join our church. Covenant with us for the glory of God. We would love to have you serve with us. But not only are there insiders, there's also outsiders. Now, those who are outsiders are not followers of Jesus Christ. They are outside of the kingdom. Now, if you are here today and you are a visitor, right, and you are not a believer in Jesus, it's kind of weird for a pastor to say, but you're, you're an outsider. You're not part of the kingdom of God. Now, this sounds kind of weird, but let me just say this. You are welcome here. We are glad that you are visiting and here with us. Praise God that you're here. But Christianity is an exclusive club. It's an exclusive club because everybody comes in the same way. Everyone comes in through belief and trust in the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not insiders because of our own merit. We did not earn the right to be called the people of God. God gave us that right, that we may be called the children of God if we believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not boastful in the fact that we're on the inside. We are humble, realizing that the only reason that we are here is because God died for us in Christ. We have been forgiven. But let me also say this, just up front. We want you to be an insider too. We want people to be insiders. We want everyone to be an insider. Because if we believe that the gospel is true, it affects everybody. It doesn't just affect those who go to church, those who were raised in church. It affects everybody. Now, there's a thing in our culture that says this. It says, we should not push our beliefs on somebody else. I mean, you see that, right? We live in an age that is tolerant and your beliefs are fine for you. My beliefs are fine for me. Don't push your beliefs on me. But that's the culture that is not the Bible. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want you to be converted. I want you to trust in Jesus. Because in Christ is the only way for salvation. Because Jesus Christ is not just our beliefs. It is the truth. When truth it transcends every area of life. Jesus Christ is true here in the church as Jesus Christ is true in Las Vegas right now. Jesus Christ is true everywhere. It's not just our belief. It's truth. Don't buy into our culture that we should not share this because it is the truth of God. So it might be kind of weird. If you're a visitor, welcome. We're glad you're here. We want you to be the insider. If you don't know how that is, it's very simple. You turn from living for yourself and you trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Talk to me tonight, today. Uh, talk to someone around you. Ask them what that means. Um, but now I speak to, to my beloved, those who are here in Christ. The first thing I would tell you is how we be wise towards outsiders is that you know your Savior. Know your Savior. So that first point on your outline is know your Savior. The best way for you to be a positive witness and be wise to those who are outsiders is that you love God. Haven't we seen that throughout this whole letter, that Paul's trying to magnify how Jesus Christ is above everything? He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. In him, all things hold together. He's before all things. 
We want Jesus Christ to be supreme over everything. So when you know him personally and your life reflects that, that's the best way for you to be a witness for Jesus Christ. But we also not only want to know him personally, we also want to know the heart of God. Let me just read a couple verses to you about the heart of our Lord. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Matthew 9.11, When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. Mark 10.45, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then a slampling of the chapter of Luke, Luke verse 7, uh, chapter 15, verse 7. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 righteous persons who have no need to repent. Luke 15, 10. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or Luke 15, 31. My son, the father, said, You are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. You see, God's heart is a heart that cares for people who are outside the kingdom. His heart breaks for those who do not know the Lord Jesus. And because his heart breaks for those who are lost, he commands you to go to them to help bring people inside his kingdom. Listen to what it says in John 17. My prayer is that you take them, not take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Now listen, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. He's talking about you. God is sending you into the world. And of course, the reason why our church exists, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I'm surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So let me just ask you very clearly. Is that your heart? Is your heart for the lost? Is your heart for those who are outside the kingdom? If it's not, your heart is far from the Lord's because the Lord's heart is close to the brokenhearted and those who are sinners and outside his kingdom. He's sending you to go and have the heart of his servant, the Lord Jesus, to tell people about the gospel. The second thing I would tell you is know your behavior. It says it right there in the text, be wise in the way you act. How you live matters. I, I told you last week, I'll tell you again, I cannot tell you how many people walk away from the church and walk away from God because of the testimony of Christians. We profess that we know God with our mouths, yet we deny Him with our works. 
the Bible says is that that is detestable. That those people are unfit for any good work. We need to be careful in how we live. Because guess what? People are watching. People are watching how you live, how you talk, what you engage in, what you don't engage in. That it doesn't mean we're always going to get it right. But are we thinking that way? Are we, are we careful in how we live that we reflect Christ? Even Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 says this, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see them and praise God in heaven. If you live right, people see them and they give glory to Christ. So we want to know our Savior, know your behavior. Then we want to know their condition. We want to know the condition of the outsider to to move us in terms of how we act towards them. Luke uh, chapter 15, verse 31, I just read to you. It's the story of the prodigal son. At the end, the father says, My son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again, was lost, but now is found. The way the Bible speaks of those who do not know Jesus are not just misguided. The Bible says you are dead. You are lost. You are utterly without hope. Now, we know that as Christians, don't we? Because that's where we used to be. We don't boast in the fact that we are now alive. We boast in the one who made us alive. Turn back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. We see this. We were once, once were you alienated from God and were enemies. And look in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. Everyone that does not have Jesus Christ as their Savior, the Bible says, is dead. And we were once dead too, but God made us alive. It says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, as sin entered the world through one man, death through sin, and in this way death came to all men. And then in verse 16, The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. Their spiritual condition of everyone who is outside of the kingdom of God is this. They are dead in their sins, and they will face God's eternal judgment for them. And the Bible says that is condemnation in a literal place called hell that will last forever. This is why we must pray. This is why I spent a whole sermon asking you to pray. Because what we're asking for is supernatural, aren't we? That which is dead is alive. I can't go to a cemetery and say, be alive. Can I? No one would move. But God does to us. He says, be alive. Trust in Christ. And when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus, we are saved. We are dead and we are alive. So we have to pray. We have to pray that God saves people. Because you can't do it. You couldn't do it for yourself. You can't do it for anybody else. So you pray. You bow before the Father and say, God, please save. 
God hears those prayers. Why? Because God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. This is why we pray that people are saved. Because we know that we were dead and it took God supernaturally to come into our life to take us out of darkness and bring us to the kingdom of the Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. If you're here and you know that you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior, can I just challenge you today? Make a decision to come. Come to Christ. Study Him. Understand, if you are not in Christ, you're still in your sins. If you have done wrong, how do you make right? You can't do enough. When I look inside the wickedness of my own heart, there's nothing that I can do. I can't do enough. I just can't do enough. I even shared with you before in the Sunday school hour how wicked my heart can be. I need something supernatural. I need the Lord Jesus to die for me. But not only know their spiritual condition, we also want to know their life condition. Because I think this is where evangelicals get it wrong. We think witnessing or evangelism is a, a box that we check. So if I hand out a track or if I share the gospel with someone, I've done my duty. But that's not the case at all. We want to know their condition in their lives. Know their stories. Listen. Ask questions. We are so trained to regurgitate information that we don't just stop and listen. Hey, how, how are things going? Tell me about yourself. Tell me about your job. What, what, are, you, what are you interested in? What are your passions? You know, I mean, just, just talking to people. Because people in our day, they see through um, superficiality. I've had that happen in my own life when someone looked at me and said, I feel like I'm just one of your conversion quotas. You're just trying to, to mark it off your list. I pray that it's not so with me and it's not so with you. Actually get to know people because you care about them. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm telling my church to get to know you. Why? Because they, they want you to know Jesus. Simple as that. Why? Because we've seen our life changed. Because we've seen the hope of the gospel overtake our lives. And we want that for you. The, the next thing I would say is know their complaints. Know their complaints. There's a lot of people who have a lot of complaints about Christianity. And we shouldn't just dismiss them. We know what we should do? We should listen to them. Because there's a lot of wisdom out there in the world about how Christians behave and how Christians act. Listen to their complaints. But then listen carefully to know the real reason why they're complaining. You know, I'll give you an example. One may say that Christianity is boring. It's for prudes and killjoys. They never have any fun. They're just boring folks. I've heard that when I have conversations with people. But it may come out later that maybe they feel that all the sin that they've committed makes them unqualified to be saved. And the real reason they want to come to Christ is not because Christianity is not fun, because their life is not that fun. And they really want to know God. But they, they fear that because of their sin, they won't be forgiven. Listen. Listen. Well, let's move on to that next point. Uh, be wise with opportunities. Be wise with opportunities. Look at the second half of verse 5 of Colossians chapter 4. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. You know, the, the, the idea there is to make the most, is to redeem, is to buy back. You can almost hear the urgency in that statement, right? 
Make the most of every opportunity. When you have contact with people, we should be careful and be wise in how we use those opportunities for God's glory. A couple of things I would say. You need to redeem your time. And the time primarily in three places. At work, at home, and at play. Where you live, where you work, and where you recreate, right? Where you play. Those three areas redeem that time for the glory of God. Let me give you a couple examples. At home, are you intentionally trying to reach your neighbors? You know, are you, are you working to get to know your neighbors? Or at the end of every day, are you going in your house and shutting your door? Maybe one way that you can redeem your time in your neighborhood is take more walks. Bring, make bread and, and bring bread over to your neighbors. Get to know them. Talk to them, right? Me and my kids try to be outside a lot. I've met a lot of my neighbors. You know, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I, can, I feel comfortable enough just to have a spiritual conversation with them. And I'm praying for them. Redeem that time. There's people in your neighborhoods right now who need to know Jesus. Use that time. Have them over for dinner. I mean, there's nothing like food to bring people together. And I'm not just saying that as a fan of food. Um, but food brings people together, right? Why don't you serve people uh, who are in need? Where you work. You know, do you really care about your coworkers? You know, I, I, I struggle with this even as when I worked um, before I came here is how bold am I going to be for Jesus? Am I going to be so bold that I may miss a promotion? That I may upset a few people I work with? Am I willing to take that risk? If I truly care about him, the answer is absolutely yes. Because a promotion is not eternal life. So be available to your coworkers. Take time in your day to actually get to know them. When they have events... Go to them. Develop that relationship. Now, I'm not saying do this with all that, that, that behind the scene, I really want you to become a Christian. Be upfront about it. When I talk to people and I develop a relationship, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'd love for you to be one too. I believe it's the truth. But the more you hold it back and you kind of bring it out later, it's almost like you're being deceptive, isn't it? Oh, so that's the reason why you're my friend. I'm your friend because I love you and I care about you. And, and I want good things to happen to your life. And for me, the best way that you can have a good and prosperous life is to know God. That's what I believe. Is it wrong to believe that? I don't think so. And people at least respect you for being honest. Don't be duplicitous. And, and lastly, I would say where you play, where you recreate. Maybe think about your time that you have hobbies. Maybe you like to hunt. Well, maybe bring someone along who, who's not a Christian. Go hunting and then have a cup of coffee afterward and talk about the Lord. Or in your sewing circles, maybe when you're sitting there sewing and you have nothing else to talk about, or I shouldn't say that, you have a lot to talk about. I've never been in a sewing circle, I've just heard. Um, just talk about the Lord. Tell Him what's going on in your life. Share your testimony. Say, this is what God has done in my life, right? I, I, I tell you, I've shared the gospel a lot of times playing golf, right? You have a few times before my bad shots <laughs> that, that veer right and left or barely get off the tee, I'll try to share a little bit, Right? Uh, it's not always the best place for me because golf does make me a little upset. It's the one thing that can get me mad and frustrated because I used to be an athlete. Anyway, <laughs> was that out loud? I am an athlete. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Uh, so tonight I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about how we do this. You know, we don't have time in this morning sermon, but 
We should be available, equipped, and motivated. And we're going to look tonight during our Sunday evening service about the life of Jesus and how did Jesus be available? How was he equipped and how was he motivated? The last point I'll make is we need to be wise with an open mouth. To be wise with an open mouth. When we speak, how should we speak? The first point, we need to use gracious speech. Gracious. What a beautiful word, isn't it? Someone who just speaks graciously. When someone speaks graciously, you know that God is in the mix. Because what comes out of our, out of our mouth is an indication of our heart, right? So when we're kind and we're generous in our tones, people tend to listen more. Now, think about this. If you ask someone in our, in our culture, tell me about a Christian. Man, Christians are angry people. <laughs> I mean, because Christians usually only tell what we're, we're not happy about, don't we? Right? Me and my wife were talking uh, earlier this week is that... Um, you know, we, you know we're, we're, we're against gay marriage and we love Chick-fil-A. There's a Christian in our culture. But how about the gracious tone and the spe- our language? It should be full of grace. The next thing, second thing, we should use seasoned speech. Seasoned speech. You see it right there in our text. Make the most of your every, every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking about a friend of mine. And we have a friend that whenever she eats, she takes the salt shaker and just goes, I mean, it's like, it's like 30 seconds, just dousing her plate with salt. And I was thinking about her life. I'm like, wow, that's, that makes a lot of sense. And she, she wants the flavor and the salt to, to make her food taste better. But the thing is, is if you look at this woman's life, her whole life is seasoned with salt. And how she speaks to her children, how she speaks to others, she makes the gospel attractive. It makes it taste better in people's mouth. I, you know, we've had the, we, we were friends for a long time, and we interact, and they would say, man, she's just so sweet and so, so special. I wonder what, why she's like that. And she's able to say it's because of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, I think of Miss Eunice here in our own church when I think of the, that, a, a woman who's seasoned with salt. When you, when you are around her, you just are attracted to the gospel. And I praise God for what the Lord is doing in her heart and in her life. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and verse 17 says this, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in a triumphal procession in Christ. Through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. In your life, you are spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of God. Now listen to what it says. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved, and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, we speak in Christ before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. You are going to be the aroma of Christ. It says, as a Christian, you are the aroma of Christ. When people come in contact with you, they smell something. I mean, it's a bad bad thing to say, but they, they, they're either attracted to the gospel and the God of the gospel, or they're repelled. We can't determine that, but what we can determine is what kind of aroma we put off. We do that with gracious and seasoned speech. We speak good of our God when we speak in such a way. And lastly, we should use correct speech or wise speech. Look what it says in the text. When we speak, when our conversations are full of grace, 
and seasoned with salt. It says, so that, I love that, so that you may know how to answer everyone. At the end of the day, we believe that Christianity is not about how we feel. It's about truth. And people need to either believe, either they believe in Jesus or they don't. It's just that simple. So we, we want to make sure that we actually know what we're talking about. Now, some of you don't share the gospel. And the reason is, is because you are afraid that you won't know enough. Can I just tell you this? God will use what you have. God will use what you have. But also, if you don't know enough, study the Bible. Take, take a track and read through it. Memorize verses so that you're able to answer those questions. And when, when you're talking to someone who doesn't ask you a question you don't know, you know what you should say? I don't know. Yeah, just say, I don't know. I'll look into that. That's a great question. I do that when I teach. Do you think I have all these answers? You know, no, I don't. Yeah, it's a great question. I'll look into that. I don't know. But we want to make sure that people know the good news. What I, what I tell people in terms of this is how I define evangelism is you want to share the gospel truth in a gospel manner. We should speak the whole gospel truth that people need Jesus. And without Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that you will spend eternity in hell. I deserve to spend eternity in hell because of my sins. But God, who was rich in mercy, while I was dead in my trespasses and sins, made me alive in Christ. You have to believe that Jesus Christ died for you. He was dead and buried, and God raised him from the dead. If you believe in that, put your trust in that as your only hope for salvation, the Bible says you can be saved as an objective truth and fact. We want that. But when we share that message, believers, beloved, share it with, with, with a gospel manner. Share it with, one of, with a heart of love like our Savior who wants all people to be saved. Share it with gracious speech. Speech full of, of salt, seasoned with, with the, 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 the aroma of the love of our God in Christ. I want people to know Jesus. You know why? Because he has changed me. I can say that I was once lost, but now I'm found. You know, I was thinking about that this morning, and I was just reminded of, of, of that great hymn of the faith, you know, that old gospel story, how a Savior came from glory, right, and redeemed a wretch like me. We have victory in Jesus, and I want everyone to experience that victory. Don't you? Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we, we pray that you will just use these words um, to press the truth on people's hearts. God, motivate us to share your gospel. God, we cannot change people. But God, we can pray that people will be changed and they will come to a knowledge of the truth. Uh, God, we pray that you will use this offering today, this sermon, to bring people closer and closer to you. God, use us for your kingdom's sake. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.